Hey everybody and welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm excited today to be hosting a two-episode student special from the campus of High Point University in High Point, North Carolina in celebration of International Women's Day. In this episode, I talk with grad student Ivana Cranky. She's the inventor of a laboratory product called Flasky, which she thinks could play a critical role in the development of everything from painkillers to cancer drugs. But does she really need to spend $10,000 on a mold before she can even take her product out to sell it? Or could there be a way to sell it before she makes it? Well, join me as I explore these questions and more. And don't forget to check out my other special episode. Hi, I'm Mark Randolph, co-founder of Netflix and six other companies. Over the years, I've heard that will never work thousands of times, but I've learned there are things we all can do to increase the chances that they will. So join me for That Will Never Work. Good morning, Ivana. Hi, nice to see you. It's great to have you on That Will Never Work. I'm really excited to hear, uh, hear what you're working on. Uh, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your progress. Uh, what is Flasky? And then maybe we could get to what you want to talk about. Well, first, Mark, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. So Flasky is a device. I've been for the past four years, a lab researcher here at High Point University. And they always give the lab researchers the tasks nobody wants to do. <laughs> but when we make medications and drugs, we make them in these very specific bottles called round bottom flasks. So they're shaped like a light bulb and they have a small opening and they have a big volume flask at the bottom. So I got to ask you a question. So there, is that an Erlenmeyer flask or is that something different? Totally different. Totally so different. I, that's all I know from my chemistry class back in high school. There was another, there's a round one and then there's the triangular one, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we're talking about the round one. <laughs> the, the round one, okay, correct. Yeah. So with this round one, when we use it, we always have this flashback of all the whatever components we put into it come right back up on the walls of the flask. And so this always happens 100% of the time. Everyone knows it's gonna happen. And so we have a tool to use to scrape it out. So we use something shaped like a pencil to go right into the flask and scrape the contents out. But the tool is very ineffective. What it is, is it's a straight piece going into a circular object. And so it doesn't work really well. We always have to conform it, bend it, and I just spent so many hours trying to figure out what can I do to solve this problem to scrape things out of this flask much I gotta, faster. I got to back up for a second. Yeah. So <laughs> this seems to be the problem of the flask, not the cleaning tool. It is, the, is the flask, and for those people who are watching it on um, on video, and you can see the little flasks, I assume these are what you're yes, talking absolutely. about. Yes, absolutely. But is, the, is that design where it's around with a narrow neck designed to keep things from splashing out? Is that why they do it like that? Yeah, so it's actually as opposed to doing it in a, a beaker. You see, I'm paying attention. <laughs> so it's actually designed this way because it's part of a couple of another device. So it's like the other half of a bigger device called a rotary evaporator. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, we're going down a path. I can tell already. It's really trouble. Yeah. So one can't be without the other. Okay. So it kind of is stuck to this round-shaped flask. 
All right, so you're, you're sitting here struggling, uh, trying to clean out a round device with a linear little pencil-like thing. Absolutely. And what happens? You're get, getting frustrated, it's not working? Yeah, absolutely. It's taking 20 minutes to do a task that if we had a better device to clean it, could take maybe five minutes, Okay. two minutes. And then inspiration strikes? Yeah, somewhat like that. I, I started realizing, hey, let me go online, figure out what I can do about this and tell my lab instructor, like maybe we can find a new device. But I couldn't find anything out there. So I think a lot of trial runs hit before inspiration hit. But yep, I tested everything. I was like, oh, okay, I know what I need. I need, um, I need something that has multiple pieces that can conform and bend like an elbow joint and we'll be all set. So Flasky is born. Yes. You want to show me what? Show me. You have one here. Is absolutely. A... So, like I was saying, show me the old one first. Or is, is, is yeah, there... mm -hmm, absolutely. So this is what we currently use the flask, and this is what the flask looks like empty. So you got a picture. It's kind of like one of those little dental tools yes. that are all lined up on the tray next to you when you're having a dentist appointment. It's like a stick with a little scraper at the mm -hmm. end of it. Okay. Yep, and I actually have two, so if you want to hold one. Oh, look at this. Okay. Do I yeah. need safety glasses or a, a lead apron or anything like that to do this? <laughs> Hopefully we'll both be fine. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is the state of the art for cleaning out that little thing? Absolutely. And you see how full it is. Oh, my God. God, that's a mess. Yeah. So you can go ahead and stick it right down in there. No, I'm not, I can't. This is crazy. <laughs> For those listening in, um, holding the current metal stick cleaning tool thing, and it's about the length of a pencil, and I'm about to use it to scrape out the glow-bottomed bottle Ivana brought with her. Doesn't, oh, no way. Yeah, and okay, so this I get, is what- I see the idea. This, am I gonna like poison myself with this stuff? <laughs> so I'm, not funny. Gonna, I'm not gonna touch it. But yes, so okay. typically we use this, and this is what we do. We'll have it bent on one side, and we'll just, kind of tilt it in and be like, okay, we're going to get that bottom 60% scraped off just like that. Okay. And we take our time. I can see how this sucks already. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But what I decided to do was to invent a hook shape. This is like Captain Hook's pirate hook. I can see it's brilliant. Yeah. That snakes into the flask and actually does a one swipe clean. So you just snake it in and to clean the top half of the flask. Oh, look at that. You get it all cleared out without actually having to bend anything with those stainless steel spatulas. And then to get the bottom half of the flask, you just push it down a little bit more. All right, get I get the idea. Half. Yeah. Pretty cool. Self-evidently better. Is that size flat flask? Is that the right word? Yes. The uh, Is it one size always? Or do you have to have a whole array of these tools for the different size flasks? So yes and no. So this flask right here that we have here is a 500. And then we have multiple 500 flasks. And then we also have 250, 150. So we have different volumes of flasks. And, but all the tools would have to be per volume. Okay, so you buy, you buy a whole set or you buy it with the flask or you'd, a bunch of ways, different ways you could partner it up. Yeah. No, it's really, this is gonna be a completely ridiculous segue, but I, I, I um, my closest I come to being a chemist is I'm a winemaker. I have a home winemaker. Okay. And we're working with five-gallon glass jars. Okay. And it's the same thing because they get stained and dirty. And you are trying to clean out the inside of this thing with this ridiculous brush. So there's another market mm -hmm. for you after, <laughs> um, after you conquer this one. Um, so... Uh, where are you with this? Is it, have, I mean, how far along is it? 
Have you sold any? Um, give me the status of the business. Well, yeah. So it's kind of been incredible because I started in June of last year and I was like, okay, like I want to do this. I want to call companies. And I called everyone, settled on a company and I got a device three months later. That was horrendous. It's this thing. <laughs> and this was what I envisioned that I wanted. Something that scientists could take apart really easily. Let's see if I can actually manage to take it apart. But three pieces so that scientists could be able to take it apart and clean the flask, sterilize it. And I thought, okay, everything's gonna be great. Then I'll be able to move into like mass production. I'll be able to sell to people. But no, that didn't actually work out when I tried it out. I was like, this is not gonna work. And I don't know if I can make other people feel like it works too. So two months later, two months ago, I called a new person and I was like, okay, here's what I have. Can we do a new design? And he was like, I an think- industrial designer person? Yes, okay. an industrial designer does plastics. And I was like, okay, let's do a new design. And we took a whole new mindset on it and a new approach and said, hey, we could do something simple, snake it in and have a scraper. And I was like, I don't know about that. And so I started calling more people and kind of left that one on the back burner. But then I ended up realizing when he sent me some that this was perfect. I thought from looking at it that it wasn't gonna work. But then when I tried it, it's totally dead. So right now where we are is in the process of realizing that I've put money into this and I've realized that, okay, I wanna go forward with this, but it's the big step now. It's buying a mold, it's going on and actually selling to people and realizing, are they gonna love this? Are they gonna use this? Will they actually take this into their lap with them? So, and the idea is that uh, the version that I'm looking at now is made out of metal, looks like. No, it's actually made out of plastic. Oh, wow, I see. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, so the idea is then that that's the product in different sizes, potentially. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So um, that's where you are at this point. Yes. Right? Just one more uh, series of questions I'm curious about. So I know this is not your first rodeo, as they say. You've, um, you went through, the, you were part of, part of the High Point Entrepreneurship Program. But I think when I at last encountered you, you were working on something different. What was that? Leopard Electric. So I made a portable power station that has two USB, two AC units so that you could actually no longer have to move closer to the wall to find an outlet, but be anywhere you wanted to and have an outlet right here. And I gotta confess, when I heard about that, I was a little cynical because I'm going, it's hard enough carrying around a little teeny battery for a cell phone, no less a 30 pound, 20 pound lead brick to do something like this. And well, what happened? That, where, where'd that go? Well. I started realizing there were some challenges. It was an uphill. I had a lot of drive and energy and I was super excited about it. But then there was uphills of more, I think I learned more as I went through the process. You make your 3D model, you show it off to everyone, and then you go into actually talking to manufacturers, getting CAD files, and the expenses were lining up a lot faster and a lot higher than I knew I could do. And so it's easy to go around and like sell, uh, sell the idea to people. And it was easy to sell the idea to people because it was cool. But I think what happened was that I had to put it on the back burner because it seemed like such a big jump to take the next step yet that I might have not been ready for it. But it was super amazing and I love it and it's still around for sure. It's really interesting, you know, that experience because I think a lot of entrepreneurs face that, which is that pitching things um, 
is reasonably easy. <laughs> People all say, yes, I love it. Uh, but when it comes time to pull out their wallet, um, all of a sudden there's all kinds of objections you may not have uh, imagined. So are there any particular big lessons you took away from that experience that you applied this time that you said, okay, this time I'm doing things differently? Oh, absolutely. So being a being a pharmacy student actually, and not really knowing much about like, but knowing I wanted to be creative and do entrepreneurship, jumping into the world and being like, oh, okay, I probably have to do all of this by myself. Like I have to be self-sufficient to show other people that I can run a business. So I didn't ask for help. And I spent four years not asking for help or trying to see any way that I could solve something, become a semi-expert and do it. And that's true, you can always do that, but it's so easy to ask for help and other people are willing to help you. It's incredible when you think about, hey, I have a simple question. They can give you your, their expertise and provide you with the knowledge you need to know. So asking for help is something I applied to this new business. <laughs> I don't have to know how to draw a CAD file. So. Well, that's a yeah. great segue. I couldn't have asked for a better one in terms of asking for help. Mm -hmm. So how can I help? Oh my goodness, thank you so much. So I want to know, with this product that I have now, I'm at a point where the only way out is through. <laughs> and I want to know, should I jump all in, like go big and go home, or and do a $10,000 trust fall into building a mold for this? And what does building the mold get you? Building the mold would get me um, an HDPE, like medical grade kind of certified product that I could say, hey, you can use this with your chemical components and it's not gonna contaminate your components. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna ask a leading question. What else do you think it gets you? And I'll give you some hints. Is it speed? Let's say I said, no, wait, sell some first. You might go, oh no, the mold's gonna take, getting from where I am now to production is six years because molds take five years to build. Is it, in other words, so building the mold now would save you a lot of time. Is it because people don't trust, believe you that you can actually build a mold? In other words, there's a lot of things that doing the mold now versus later gets you. And I wonder if you've thought through those pieces of it. Okay, I actually haven't thought through what other steps are in between me and the mold. And no. not just between you and the mold, these are all steps that are between you and actually having a product which is flying off the shelves. Yeah. In fact, you're using <laughs> shelves to sell it. Um, and there's a lot of things in addition to molds, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs have similar barriers. I mean, the classic one is I need to build an app. Um, I need to do this. I need to hire this. And most of the time it's because they see this progression of steps that has to happen before it's a big successful company or product. But I don't think they're stepping back and saying, how necessary is this for what I really need to prove? And that's what I'm trying to dig in on what you really need to prove with this product. Wow. So for example, do you know that it's going to sell? Well, I hope so. That's what I but you don't, don't know, know. Yet, right? Yeah. And how will a mold help you know that? It won't. <laughs> I'll just have a ton and I won't know what to do with it if it doesn't. Huh. The second thing that a mold, the problem I see with the mold, and I'm not necessarily shooting down the mold because that mm -hmm. could be in fact the right step. Um, molds are fairly irrevocable. In other words, once you have it built, it's little hard to change or it's $10,000 to get another one made. How are you making these? Are those, um, 
Are those 3D printed? Yes, 3D printed. I can make a ton. <laughs> it's quite easy, yeah. And is the problem with a 3D printed version that it's not medical grade? I mean, what are the concerns with, let's say you printed 50 of them, and what would be the problem using those? So, and, and, and you can put your pharmacy, a doctor at a pharmacy hat on and explain that to me. <laughs> so I think contamination and making sure it's sterilizable and also that it won't contaminate the products we do put in there. Because the drugs, it's like if you're taking Advil and then you don't know if the plastic is interacting with the Advil, it's like, uh-oh, they might be a little resistant to using it. I'm trying to get a sense of whether the mold is a scaling product. In other words, this is what we need to be able to do a thousand of them or whether the mold is a barrier to actually having one which you can sell and be used in the lab. And is, can it, is it possible to make one which could be used in the lab? I, Using a variation, avoiding the mold? I don't know, actually. We've done some product research on what types of materials wouldn't interact. And it's seeming like the more, whatever our um, components are in, so like acetone or any of our chemicals that we use, that plastic is the plastic that won't interact with the materials. And it's, when I searched online, like, can I print in this special grade plastic? It seemed like the answer was no to print in it, but yeah. One more question. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I, and I think we're all learning a lot more about molds than I think we <laughs> expected to. Um, how long does it take to do a mold? So with a few companies out there, depending on where you get your molds as well, some companies are saying we could get it done in one month. Some companies are saying we could get it done in three months, or some companies are like eight months or more. And so it's quite interesting. So you're thinking, but you're thinking two or three months is probably a reasonable um, plan. And then once you have the mold, you can begin uh, manufacturing in reasonable volume. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'll, I'll ask, I'll, I'll answer it your question specifically, and then we'll try and um, make some generalizations out of it. So actually, I'll start with the generalizations. I mean, anything you do in a startup, anything, um, you have to really ask yourself, do I need to do this? And it's not just a capital N, it's all uppercase, all bolded. You only wanna do things you absolutely need because your time is very, very limited. Certainly your money is even more limited. And so you're trying to say, what are the minimum set of things I need to do to go to the next step? And from where I hear you are, your next step isn't, I have orders for 100,000 of these, and my next, the, getting the mold is the barrier to producing them. You're still in that place of going, I'm not 100% sure I have the design exactly right. I don't yet have orders all flooding in. And I think the next step toward validating this idea is seeing if you can get orders to flood in. In other words, I would sell it before you finesse how to make it. And here's the reason. Um, I suspect you're going to go out and I'll talk about this in just a moment. Talk to some people about buying this, um, buying this. And I have some ideas about that. Um, and you're going to get all kinds of interesting feedback. Hopefully, Everyone's going to go, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing. How quickly can you get me a million of them? Well, then that's great. Uh, but then you say, all right, I need, I need two months, three months, because I need to make the mold. But believe me, once you have that level of interest, getting $10,000 to build your mold will be trivial. Um, but more likely, 
you're going to find out something else. And it'll go down two path, three paths. One is, like I said, it's, you, you've nailed it. It's exactly right. Everybody wants it. Um, that's great. Go to the mold. Next path is people say, eh. And then you go, thank God I didn't waste $10,000 on a mold for something that people really don't want in any volume. Mm. And probably, I'm going to say more likely, but the third path is you get this feedback that says, we love it, but can it be, eh, or this, or that? Or you begin to uh, do something like that. Or you find some usage which does not require the sterilization, all those things, so that you can get someone using it doing the job that you're doing, giving you feedback on what works and what doesn't work. And then you go, okay, now I'm learning each time how to make this mold even better. In other words, manufacturing a product is a nasty, nasty form of entrepreneurship because it's so inflexible. In other words, software stuff and services, if you don't, if you do something and it doesn't work and you don't like it, no problem. It's a, as um, an old... Uh, CEO I worked with used to call it, it's a SMOP, a simple matter of programming. In other words, you can fix it really easily and change it. You can't change that easily. You manufacture it, your first box of uh, 500 goes out someplace and they come back and say, this doesn't work for us or we don't like it. You can't easily fix it. So before you actually set it in stone or whatever molds are made of, um, make sure you know exactly what you're doing unless the mold is the barrier to your next step of validation. I don't think it is. So I'll take this opportunity to play with what your next step of validation might be. And to me, it seems self-evident, and I hope you can challenge me on it, is I think you should start selling it. <laughs> you start taking orders. Uh, and um, once you have, because I think, if you can get an, I don't think you need to have a box full of them to take an order. I really don't. This is not like uh, French fries where they take the order and I want to serve them tomorrow. This is something they're going to use in the lab for years. And so whether it comes in two months or two weeks or two days, I think is fairly secondary. I think they're going to say either this is an amazing thing or they're going to go ho-hum. So I think the best way to prove which side of that it is, whether it's on the ho-hum side or the amazing side, is to actually sell it to somebody. And you do not, if you think about what most medical salespeople do, they're not, they don't go, they don't say, well, I'll take a hundred of those. They don't go out to their trunk of their car and bring them in. <laughs> they take the order and then they fulfill it. And it depends how long it is. And I think you should be in the same situation. Because if you can really sell it, you will know for sure that you've got the right design. And then you can begin backpedaling and say, whoa, whoa, it's going to take me a couple of months because I need to build the mold. And because of that, I'm going to cut you a deal. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So who do you think is going to buy this? Oh my goodness. So I'm hoping labs and college campuses that have any organic chemistry students, anywhere that there's a rotovap actually, a rot rot rotary evaporator, that they will also buy this because they're going to be using these types of flasks. So how many rotary evaporators does High Point have? Rotary, so they have about five evaporators per lab room. So that's, and then we have about three lab rooms on each floor. So that's about five, three, so 15 each floor. And then we have, so maybe about 30. Now, let's talk, <laughs> you're gonna learn it. 
<laughs> shitload here about rotary evaporators in a minute, so hold on tight. So uh, uh, it's selling to you. Why sell to universities? Is that like where most rotary evaporators end up? It would seem like they would all be in commercial labs or in uh, a drug company would probably have a 500 of them. Yeah, so, well, that's actually true too. So they, they could be my customers. Anyone that has a round bottom flask really could be a customer. Where are round bottom flask? How many round bottom flasks do they sell in a, in a year? Oh, that is a good question. I should look that up. But I do know that they sell about $17.1 million of spatulas a year. Of these little things. Of these guys, yes. What is a, what is a, what is a spatula? What are these called? The round bottom spatula? No, these are just called spatulas. So they're used for different purposes in the lab, but mainly for this purpose. So what would one of these uh, run me? Uh, seven dollars. Seven dollars. And you can get four of them, which is kind of a problem. <laughs> seven dollars for this thing? Yeah. Man, I'm in the wrong business. Um, so he, he, the, the couple things. I'd go where the I'd go where the volume is. Okay. So universities are great because they're going to be very tolerant of a student coming in and pitching. <laughs> but that's what are you going to sell? They have, they have thirty of these evaporators. What, what are they going to buy? Thirty of them? Less. They're going to buy one per floor. I mean, why waste your time with that? Okay. Um, first of all, figure out who sell where the evaporators are going because that's where the that's where these things follow. Figure out where the flasks are going. That's where these things follow. I'd make the who makes this, Leboy. So have you talked to Leboy yet? I haven't. No. Do you have IP protection on it at all? Yes, absolutely. So. Go to LeBoy. Go to, you know, talk to Mr. Erlenmeyer or Mr. Bunsen or I don't know whoever is uh, in charge of these things. Um, uh, because the ideal way to sell this is you go every time um, you're going to buy a case of a 240 flasks, um, why don't we throw in uh, an order? What do you call this thing? Uh, flasky. Oh, flasky. <laughs> we should throw in 20 flaskies. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the thing is, for them, is a way to differentiate their, listen to me now, round-bottomed flask. Is that right? Yes. They're round, no, flat-bottomed, round, what is it? Round-bottomed or flat-bottomed? Round-bottomed. Oh, yeah, I see. It's a way to differentiate their round-bottomed flask from someone else's round-bottomed flask. In other words, go where the flasks are. Mm -hmm. Go where the evaporators are. Go to a hospital lab. Go to a, I mean, you know way more now about labs than I do. So you spent 30 minutes with this ridiculous little thing mm -hmm. compared to three minutes or whatever yes. the difference mm -hmm. is. So great. The free labor basically saved 27 minutes. The place this counts is in a lab where you have, where that time is real money. Mm -hmm. And you want to find where that is. It's not in the university. They don't care. Mm -hmm. It's in a place where you're paying that lab tech um, 40 or $50, $40 an hour or 30 bucks an hour or whatever it is, and that time is money. With working in my lab, we do products that are new drug discovery. And so new drug discovery has a lot of costs involved. And so sometimes you're putting components in that could be worth $60,000. And with the current tools we use, we get about 60% of the whole flask volume of being able to get out the whole components that we already put in. So we work super hard with these old tools. But if you were to use my tool, I could raise that percentage up to 90% 
Oh, you mean so the material that's in the container, which you extract with the scraper, is not waste. It's good, good stuff. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. That's actually really compelling. So there's a whole nother dimension to this besides just the labor savings, which is where I was going with it. Actually, there's a material savings. I mean, how much do you think this represents? In, I mean, have you done the math and said, here's what it is in my lab, and if I could extrapolate that across a bigger industry? Absolutely. So in our lab, we would save about 2,500% of drugs, and we do about 25 sets of drugs a year. So it would be incredible if a lab that's doing commercial products like down the road or labs that are all across the country, labs in other uh, states and or, well, not say, other continents are also doing products, are also doing just the same science and can save just as much or even more money. And the, the idea is that you will save more money if you're either doing more drugs or more expensive drugs. Fascinating. I had envisioned this was a testing product where you run the test and you dispose the contents and this was a way to make it less uh, disgusting. <laughs> but I get it. You're actually formulating something which has commercial value and this increases the yield. Yes. Fascinating. I think all of these things are ones that you test in your various presentations to customers. Again, this is not talking to people and saying, do you like it? It's actually going out and watching whether their pupils dilate in financial excitement over how <laughs> you're going to increase the yield of our lab. Really compelling, Ivana. Well, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. And I did have one question also. <laughs> so people complain about this problem all the time, but they're conditioned to overlook their problems because they know that the end goal is patient care or delivering medications. What would you say to introducing solutions like this? You have got to find the person who cares. And that's the key piece of this, is you've got to find the person who actually cares about this. Um, and there is someone for whom their job performance is being measured on what their yield is, who is the person who's supervising all the lab techs and are being measured on the fact that, hey, I've been able to do the same amount of work with one fewer person. You've got to identify that person. And that person will, it will resonate with them. Selling it on peace and love um, feels good, but usually isn't sufficient to get someone to crack open their wallet. Thank you. Okay, Ivana. So I'm going to send you off with that advice. You have some homework now. <laughs> and I know good. you have all kinds of extra time. Um, but I think you do have some credibility, and I think you can, you know, and certainly uh, I can tell already that you can be a persuasive person when you, uh, you want to be. But it's going to require getting out of your lab gear and putting on your sales, uh, your sales suit and seeing if you can sell these in some volume. In addition to figuring out whether the product is right, you're going to learn whether the pricing is right. You're going to learn who the right target customer is. And those are all things I would love you to know before you spend $10,000 on a mold. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Well, good luck. And uh, when I'm back, hopefully doing this again uh, on campus soon, I will check in with you and I'm really curious to hear, uh, hear how it went. Thank you. Thank you. If you liked what you heard today, take a minute to subscribe so you don't miss a single weekly episode. If you've got a business problem you're struggling with and would like to join me on the show, simply come to markrandolph.com forward slash guest to apply. And while you're there, add yourself to my mailing list so you're up to date on all my news and entrepreneurial tips. And finally, if a 30-minute podcast is just too much, 
I share all my hints and tips in more easily digestible nuggets on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and yes, even TikTok. You'll find links to all this stuff, plus my blogs and other writing on markrandolph.com. Check it out. Thanks again for listening. And remember, check out my other Young Female Entrepreneur episode today, too. Group.